0: it back together and get it out of mothballs. balls. And what I have here today is just a little hatch, but I hope somehow I can uh, leave something with you. I'd like to read from my first scripture, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5, and verse number 21. Then I'll go on to Psalms 119 and the 18th verse. So I'm reading Jeremiah 5 and 21. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. You have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. As a matter of fact, those are the kind of folks you'll have difficulty with. These are the same type of words that the Christ spoke to the Israelite nation when he was here on earth. They had eyes and could not see. They had ears and could not hear. They were of no service to them. Just could not. And so notice they had eyes, but yet there was a blindness there. A blindness. You can die within reach of what you really need and not even know it's there. It is entirely possible. Read it again. Psalms 119, verse number 18. 119th division, 18 verse. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Praise the Lord. 119th Psalms, one of the sweetest things ever written. Just one of the nicest, nicest things. They are printing also in a little commentary in book, oh I guess it's in a paper back now. Get the man's name. It's available after several hundred years. Ah, no, no, it wasn't 16, pardon me. This was written in 1840, I think. And uh, I had another book in mind. But here's something over 100 years old that is being reprinted, and it's on the 119th Psalm. It's kind of a devotional. I had one for a long time, for years. And uh, I never saw another until I see reprinting that. And it's a real interesting book. I have not consulted it for this verse here. But if you want to, to weep before God, this is one psalm that takes you through all the events, all the events that man on this earth goes through. It's just beautiful. But I don't want to get on another. Open thou my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law." Open eyes. And i like to speak today on the theme, Acres of Diamonds. I'd like to begin and tell the story that a preacher, he went around the country for 60 years delivering this oration. I am going to borrow the first couple illustrations that he used in his book Nothing Else. You can find it. It's easy to find. Uh, but for the sake of a springboard and a starting place, I'd like to borrow his main illustration. Let me do it. He, uh, he made close to $10 million delivering a lecture called Acres of Diamonds. It had to do with the uh, education and commerce, and so on. He put thousands of children through school through the proceeds of this. And uh, he he ministered, he delivered this message no less than 6,000 times. That's a long time. And uh, he died as an old man. But I would like I would like to tell that story that he told in the book. He starts out about his travels in the uh, Middle East. And as uh, he was looking through Many little stories and illustrations that after a time Mr. Conwell became very vexed and impatient with his air of God. And uh, he just got tired of laughing and finally when the man would talk he wouldn't just pay any more mind. He, he just tuned him out. He refused to listen to him. He was not here. But then finally the man he, uh, he stopped a long time. No motion. And uh, finally, he kind of raised his hand, made a little movement, watching the preacher out of the corner of his eye until the preacher, out of curiosity, turned. He said, I have one more story to tell you. Just one more. And I say this story for my my favorite people. And since you and I have shared many uh, little episode here or two on our journey through this land and, uh, and uh, we've talked and we've laughed and we've eaten together I have reserved for my choice friend this story and so he proceeded to tell it. he went ahead and he said uh, there lived in uh, South Africa many years ago there was a man by the name of Ali Hafid and he was a poor farmer. And he uh, he got his uh, oxen out there, and he put his little old wooden plow to the hitch, and uh, he got the animal all rigged up, and he walked those fields day in and day out. He eked out a meager existence. All he had was just what he earned, just just what hardyhood, and with labor, and with perseverance, and with sweat, and with toil. But after a time, uh, a priest came by and sat there, and uh, here was a priest uh, from uh, the Hindu religion, and he sat there talking to him and said, "Uh, uh, sir, you're doing right well on your farm. I see you have your, you have your home, and uh, you have your family and you are eating, you have a lot to be thankful for. He says yes, but it's been hard. He laid him down on his pitiful pallet night after night. He had just meager, meager existence, but his family was there, and they had a home, and they had land, and he had a faithful ox, and he had a plow, he had a lot to be grateful for. But now, But now the stranger's there, and he said, you know, it's too bad that you couldn't get rich like others, because uh, you can get rich overnight if somehow you could just find that which is in demand. And he said, the quickest way I know to get rich, he said, now we we have knowledge of what they have done in India, and the first diamond mines in all the world were in India. That's where they discovered it. And uh, these are jewels that are fit for the crowns of royalty and kings. You will find them upon the sovereigns of the earth. If you ever, ever found a diamond, sir, you'd be fabulously rich. And suddenly a, a light came on. And Ali Hafid says, "I want on a diamond. Now, would you tell me where you find them? I'll send everything I've got to find the diamond. Well, believe if you want a diamond, you have to go between two mountains in a place called the Valley of the Moon, and there where a little clear stream flows gently and washes the pebbles, if you'll look hard among the pebbles. You're liable to pick up one little pebble that is a diamond and you'll be rich. And with that little thread of a hope to hang on, he sold his farm. He just got rid of his farm for a pittance and a meager sum. And he says, I want more than anything else in life. And he hugged his darling wife and kissed his babies for the last time. And this soldier of fortune went away looking for a diamond. He traveled, and with what little money he had, he left some of his stay-at-home companions, but he took the rest, and he put it in his little sack, and he spent it going around the world. He says, there's no diamonds anywhere. And he flung his discouraged self into the onrushing waters and died a pitiful, wretched suicide. And suddenly the Arab guide went to the back of the camel and then on the other side and began to adjust the straps. Well... Russell Conwell tried not to listen to this Arab guy. He had been very impatient, but the story arrested his attention. And now he deeply was concerned and interested. And, and here he is, he's telling a story, and right in the middle he quits. And he's thinking to himself, what kind of tale is this? The heroes killed in the first chapter, and this is all there is to it. And what happened, and, and, and uh, after a while, he sees that, the Arab sees that he has the man's attention, and so he goes back and he says, let me finish the story. The man that bought the farm, he went and hooked up the same raken on that same ox, held the same plow, walked the same furrowed fields, lay down on the same pitiful pallet, lived underneath the same roof. Everything else, all things being equal, he ate the same kind of food, he fared no better. But suddenly one day he turned over a black rock that had a little in it. And when he held it up in the sunlight, somehow it glistened and the sun sparkled on it. And he changed it various ways and it sparkled all kinds of colors. He saw prism therein. All shades and colors of the rainbow were imprisoned within this black rock that had this little sparkling eye. He said, this is and he placed it upon his crude mantelpiece and left it there for months and months. That's all he found. Thought nothing of it, a black rock. But after a while, the old priest was making his rounds again and came to the self same house. Says, I have heard that Ali Hafid sold his farm. I will meet the new man. He sits down and begins to speak religion. He is talking about the Corinth. He is talking about, about the God and that we should serve Allah. And suddenly in the midst of his conversing, his eyes fall upon a black thing, settled upon a mantelpiece, and his conversation hangs in midair. And he says, a diamond. And he springs to it and holds it in his hand. He said, a hey, diamond. Where did you get this diamond? And the poor man says, I have no diamond. He said, I know a diamond when I see one. And he was trembling. Where? Where did you find this? He said, I plowed over it in the field. It had been plowed over many times. It had been there all the while. He said, Quick, come with me. Show me where you picked it up. And they got down and together with their bare hands began to fool around and found other black things. And he says, when these are broken open, you'll find diamonds here. There is a film upon the diamond that hides the luster. And a diamond can be, uh, it can have six or eight or 12 or 16 or even four sides. And every one almost, you will see and there they will be beautiful. And they have to be cut, and they have to be worked on, but this is a pure diamond. And that first little pebble that this man found was worth in those days $2,500. One little bitty diamond, just one. And there began the birth of the greatest diamond mine in all the world, the famous Golconda diamond mines, and there came from there more than $1 billion worth of diamonds, a billion. And a man lived on it, and the man who bought his acreage never dreamed. When he flung himself over there into the uh, waters at Barcelona, Spain, he never realized that he actually had been living on acres of diamonds. And here is the story I would like to tell you. Praise the Lord. You may not realize it today, but you too live on acres of diamonds. You'll find the story repeated again and again so often in life. And somehow, some of us have found it out to be true Oh, just like the story you told at camp, some people sell their whistles too cheap, don't they? They don't realize what they have. If you can ever see what God would have you see, you would never sell out the unsearchable riches of Christ that you hold in your hands today. Praise God, we have something worth living for. Believe me. And uh, being a native Californian, I uh, like to study the West, and it was near Sacramento, California. They had a place called Sutter's Fort. A Colonel Sutter one time settled down, and they had a fort where they sold things for when the people came through, you know. The Donner Party, for instance, this is where they had to go to get help when those people were in prison there, in that mountain pass and they had to eat one another to try to preserve themselves. But and I'll tell you that story, but that's another sermon. But let me say that Colonel Sutter, just, he just had a simple living. He had a little girl there that said uh, they had a far flat place in those days and said, Daddy, could you make me a sandbox? Would you go bring me some sand and bring it in? And so I could play by the fire, and when the winter comes and it's cold and I can't get outside, that I, can, I can play here and with my bucket and my shovel. And so uh, Colonel went out there and where the little river came across his property, he went down to where the river and uh, the pebbles were kinda out of the way and the sand was fine and he got a shovel and scooped up a bunch of it. He made him a, uh, a square, a container there, and put a, a bottle underneath it, and it was so high, and he just filled it with sand. said, my child can have all the sand she wants. And in that sand, he had the little rocks and everything that he saw there. He just brought it all in, just put it there. And one day he had an old visitor come by and sat there by the fire. And they didn't have central heat in those days, so they pulled up a chair and they they hung the kettle right on the fire and toasted a marshmallow. And uh, they roasted uh, a leg of uh, an animal. And uh, whether it was a beaver or a cow or a pig, whatever it was, they put it on the spit, open heart. And while they were talking, drinking their coffee, just talking there. Suddenly, the man looked at the sand. And he got down, and he began to play in the sand. He said, where did you get this? Well, he said, it's it's on my property. And uh, he said, do you realize what you have? He said, "Uh, friend, he said, this is gold. And he held it up, He said, I know gold when I see it. This is gold. And that mad, that madness came over him. And uh, they went outside, and there were lanterns, and they began to get some more and bring it in and look at it, and there was gold in that. And he said, sir, this this is washing through here. And uh, it's it's all over in your sand, and it's coming from another source. We'll find work. And so this was the birth of uh, a man going through there and finding gold. And when they picked it up, three up, sir, when they picked it up, they picked it up by the pebbles.
1: And they had hundreds of
0: dollars they could pick up just easy, it was gold. And uh, they staked out the claims way up river. And the man that was just one-third owner, like Sutter was, just a a third owner in this thing, actually, he made day and night. Every 15 minutes, he made $20 net. Don't look like much when I say that, but that is actually $691,000 a year that came... uh, To be one-third owner, he was rich in those days. And it's everywhere, living on it, keeping it in his house, and did not know how close he was to riches. Praise the Lord. A man had a farm in Pennsylvania one time. and. this man, suddenly, he had a problem. Something was wrong with the river that went through his problem. It stumped. And so he got some big boards and dammed it up and put some sand and rocks there so he could filter it through because his cattle wouldn't drink it. And he didn't like that smelly water in Pennsylvania on that little farm. He got discouraged with it all, and he went to school. He went to school. Man said, well, uh, if you'll come clear out west, we'll help you, and and we'll teach you how to be uh, a great man, and uh, uh, you can learn a trade, and you can be uh, wealthy here in uh, the surveying business and so on. Well, so he sold his farm for $833, that's all. He got the money in his hand and took it to finance himself in a better life. The man that bought the farm went out there and got tired of the stink, trying to clear it out and noticed all that scum on the water and that big dam, beavers wouldn't live in it, nothing at all. So he went out and said, no, I don't know if this is poison, my stock, i better see. Took a sample down and had it analyzed. And they said that is pure coal oil, pure coal oil. And when the uh, sayers came out, and to see how much it was worth, here was a man that had in coal oil alone, $100 million on a the farm that bought for 800 There are acres of diamonds everywhere. One man wanted to be uh, a great, he wanted to be a a great man, and he wanted to learn, he wanted to get into the the fields of, uh, uh, what do you call the study of rocks? Yes and uh, he wanted to uh, assay and he wanted to determine the wealth. And so he was working for $15 a week. He was offered 45 a week while he was uh, studying in his college work, but he refused and went up to Minnesota and took a job for $15 a week there. And while he was there, and uh, saw this farm, he got rid of his in Massachusetts, where he came from. He got rid of that old farm, and here he said, Now, nah, I'll study hard, and I'll learn that I'm going to go out. Someday I'll be worth something. In the meantime, he sold his nice little old home place, and a man was sitting there on that old rock wall by his house. He had been seated there many times. The previous owner had with his friends. His legs had dangled against it like young people do and kicked, and you know, over the side and looked down and played and climbed on the wall and rolled and rumbled and tumbled and carried on. But now, as he, another man came and sat down there and was just kicking on the wall and looking down, he saw that odd-looking, one rock it was very odd-looking on this crude, rough-looking wall. It had a a kind of a black look to it. It had a kind of a, it had a kind of a greenish cast to it. It looked kind of odd. And one man looked at it, and he said, no wait a minute. And he got to poking around, and they dug it out, and they had a chunk of silver as big as a basketball, solid silver. And here was the birth. If I could say this of one of the great silver mines of the east it was worth $100,000 to the owner of that property and the other man sold it out and he, he went away to earn the fabulous sum of $15 a week and he had 100000000 all the time so under our feet you'll find acres of diamonds well let me just Talk to you for a little while now about a few things. You know, I've often wondered what the prodigal had in mind when he left the home place that he had. A young man with everything going for him, he had it made. His daddy had him in mind. When willing time come, I'm gonna give you something, son. If you just wait your time, i have something for you. But somehow you couldn't talk to him. I don't see anything here, here in the hall, and it looked like the grass is greener on the other side. And so he just said, "I'm packing my suitcase." And I hear the song of Mirth and Merriment and yonder on the other side of the hill. And I talked to a few of my friends, and they told me what a nice time to have way out there. Well, when he got out there, he didn't find what he was looking for in the saloon. It wasn't with his friends. One day he spent his last night, and in the midst of despair, when he would fain even eat the husks and all the swill that was given to the swine, this man finally said, well, I guess I'll go back home. I know there's not much there. I spent every good thing I had, and uh, I looked for more. And yet when he turned and went around and went home, he didn't realize it, but he walked right back into acres of diamonds. And I want to tell you something, children. I have seen many a good person walk away from the greatest thing God ever provided for humankind. I watched them walk out of the greatest fellowship on earth and never realized what they were giving up i've seen some of them say well i don't find what i want here and i have watched them become wandering stars and christian nomads and pentecostal gypsies because they could never be satisfied again when they didn't realize they had acres of diamonds just right there at hand and uh, they they sold out so cheap and thought maybe i'll get more but somehow like the poor wretched Ali Hafid. They are gonna stand there by the in rushing, on rushing tide, and they're gonna throw in their life and say, I'm still not satisfied, I have not found that which I have wanted. It is not there. And they tell me in the process of making a diamond that it takes a long time, it just takes time. You just don't get to have a diamond into being like that. You just, you can't have it. It takes years and years and years and hundreds of years. A diamond is born by intense heat. A diamond is born because of absolute, awful, intense pressure. And that's how it came to, to being. Otherwise, it is simply carbon. It is no more than carbon. If you would just into vapor and would be nothing but carbon dioxide that's what it would be and you could just turn turn it the other way and it would somehow go into coal but there is a certain thing that God Almighty uh, has provided that if the pressure is just right a diamond is born and I have watched some of the finest looking material in the world
1: I have looked
0: at people and said God Would you just let me have them in my hands and let me, with your help, mold and make them into something for you? I have actually said these words to people. Would you put your life in my hands and let me do something with you? I have seen it it had the component parts there
1: And if the pressure is right,
0: we end up with a diamond. But if it's not, we'll have carbon fit to burn. It's just coal, Or we'll have vapor. And I have watched some people, all that I've succeeded in doing with them, is making vapor. They've blown away. I look back over my ministry, I look like I've found more vapor, that I have diamonds. I've found a few diamonds, and that's why I'm still looking. Don't run from your trials, mister. Don't flee your discouragement, sister. For in them you will see farther than you ever have in all your life. You will learn more there than you'll learn at any other time. And I promise you, God will put upon you. That trial, though you don't understand it, he knows just what is involved in making a diamond out of you. Praise the Lord. You may wonder, somehow, you may wonder what makes a preacher get fighting mad. Well, it's because sometimes I have picked and I have shoveled and I have dug and I have worked. You don't know how I work trying to get it done. Praise the Lord. I've looked at people trying to make them mean something. If somehow, if I can just cause them to look well to the difficulties. But if you can't take it, in a Pentecostal church, you'll never amount to nothing but heaven and hell. It's the truth. Praise the Lord. Oh, if there's anything that makes a preacher feel good, I say, well, I found the a diamond, and I've seen that every now and then in every church. Every church. I walked into where's Jimmy Davis didn't get here. All right. I walked into my old pastor's church one time and the day before I got there his church split right down the middle. He said, Well, I don't go to church and have trouble, then don't go to church. You might as well go get drunk, give it all up. You'll never find the church that don't have trouble. There's no peace on earth like that. So, how are you doing, Elder? He said, Well, right down the middle line. All I've got's a couple of men and a few young people. That's all I've got. He had a few dozen young people, I guess. That's what we had left. Praise the Lord. And I saw. Brother Terry came in, I was holding revival. And I remember him coming into that meeting and he began to talk. He was telling about the trials he had in his church. I know a little bit about somebody's trials. I preached a revival or two for him. We've come up through the wars together and uh, a little more. But uh, he was telling about a young man. Was and, and uh, this old boy made money and he stood there and he was a preacher's friend. I don't know if any of you saints ever realized what a preacher means when he talks about a preacher's friend. But every now and then, God raises up a man that'll stand by a preacher till the world looks level. Well, when I questioned the preacher? Praise the Lord, he'll be. Like one of those little kids said in our church, one of the, uh, one of the saints has a little boy and said, uh, trying to teach him scripture verses, all right, now let's see what you learned, honey. How many gods are there? And uh, he said, two. I said, two gods? Well, <laughs> I failed in my study. How many gods uh, are there? There's two. Well, who are they? Jesus. So who's the other one, sir, Brother Ballastaro? Praise the Lord. everything to you every time he gets up and he don't have to give an answer for what he says every time he gets up. You'll never go to heaven and never get a blessing if you can't give trust to the man of God. If you can't trust him in one appointment or one decision, how can you trust him that he's even taught you the truth? You might be deluded and don't know it. But, you know, Open thou thine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Do you know it's almost impossible for God to teach any organization one thing? They have come so far and set down their anchor and driven stake and say, we've worked this, we're not going to listen to nothing else. I would be in better position to buy what you don't want take your little pitiful plow and pitiful panic and run around on my own, I can discover a whole lot more from God than a man that sat in his ways with his eyes shut. I was preaching for a young man and he had a problem in his church. This man's problem Praise the Lord. He might have sat under Bishop Haywood, but he never learned what Bishop Haywood was teaching. Praise the Lord. It's one thing to sit under a good, and noble man, and another thing to have your eyes open and get the message. Praise the Lord. Because there's many. People A bicycle for you, and you're going out and selling it for 50 cents, not knowing what it has. And I have watched people come into our churches, and we have. And said, Abram, you're making the biggest mistake a human ever made. <clears throat> Your inheritance lies right here. Your property's here. What you doing? Well, I'm taking my little servants and I'm taking my wife. We don't have any children, but we're going to go out. And God said, If I'm going. He said, if the man He saw at the end of his journey. God said, This is yours if you'll follow me. Praise the Lord. So he had his eyes open. Then let me tell you, he went on, and after a time, he had uh, a son. He got impatient, and a son was born, but when the promised seed got there, they couldn't And says, I'll tell you what you're gonna have to do. This little woman got up. Don't you feel bad? You don't like some of the corrective measures of the church? Don't feel bad. Church begin to spit things right down to the final hair. Remember, we know the, the kind of children that are going to be diamonds and make the promised land and inherit the blessings. And so, poor little Hagar. Now, God didn't quit them or give them up. As a matter of fact, if you read your Bible carefully, God even has a place preserved for them in the tribulation. They actually does. That's in your book, Daniel and he has an inheritance for them to show you how no, 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 you can't have this girl, this is my girl. And then they went to the next girl and said, no, she is, she's sickly, she's so sickly. Mother said, no, God, we're going to keep this sickly child because when you gave her to us, you told us to care for her all her days, we can't let her go. And then they went to the next room and here was Bob. He was bad. No, he'll never make it over there. He has wayward ways. Only those who brought him here, only the heart of a mother father could be patient with him. We can't give him up. And they went to the next one and his baby face there underneath the pale candlelight and a little old curl on his forehead. And there was a tear by his eye. He'd fallen asleep, said he's still almost a child, can't give him up. And, and then uh, the twins, you know, they couldn't give them up and found the little baby, and maybe it'd be better. No, 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 We can't give him up. And so then they took what they had and said no. And uh, life's going to be a whole lot sweeter now. We have one another. We won't give up one. We won't relinquish. We won't surrender one thing. We'll forget, rich uncles, and we'll take what we have and work with it. And I wonder, oh God, what would I surrender? Could I let this down? Oh God, no, not that. Could I let that down? There is not one thing I'm ready to give up, what I have learned and what God's taught me. I'll be content to my dying day and say, God, I'll labor for the truth you've taught me, and I won't give up on one thing. Hallelujah. There is a phenomenon that takes place in uh, South America as the waters of the Amazon rush out into the Atlantic. And uh, one time, this really happened, there was a ship in distress, and as it sailed, they had run out of water, and where they were beyond the side of shore. And while they were way out in the uh wild Atlantic, suddenly they saw a ship coming by and uh, they wanted some water. Their tongues were real parched by that time, getting thick. Everybody spitting cotton I now meeting it it they had to have a drink. And as the sun was bearing down upon them, they knew they couldn't last long without water. They were dehydrating. He got his, uh, his uh, flags out and he began to wave. Give us water. Well, the answer came back from the deck of the other ship. Let down your We're dying. We're at sea. And I mean, the ship's going the other way. And I mean, we're brethren, we see men are. And here's a ship in distress. If we were sinking, they'd, they'd let a boat out. But now we want a drink of water or we perish. Maybe they ran our signal wrong. All right. here, praise the Lord. You can say it's not there and die. People have been so near and quit. I'm glad I was like a thief on the cross and saw something the other one didn't see. I saw a diamond on my side. When I went to the altar that night, I think I was the only one in that whole altar call, but I'm so glad I went. I feel sorry for anyone like the demons who had association with the Paul. And walked away and never saw too much there. Oh God. I'd give anything just to have been with Paul. Amen. I, I don't know what it means just to somehow carry his parchment and books and shiny shoes and tie all his songs. However, the dead I'd have learned how. Oh, and not much of a fire builder, but I'd have done it for Paul. He didn't realize that he was leaving the greatest thing that could ever be? A fellowship with one of God's men. Isn't that right? He left reality in search of diamonds and nobody ever found out if Demas found them. He probably died in the waters of, of the uh, uh, sea there, shores of Hercules. Like I mentioned, Ali, Tatev. And then, let me say now, I, I'm true. I marvel at our mission. I have used for some time that some of the people that say, well, I'm going to be a missionary. Have you ever watched them? They will leave our shores, and I don't mind telling you, all of them were not successful here. They will leave our shores and go there and come back, and some have newfangled ideas when they get back. And I have been criticized and chastised and bawled out and I have been dealt with sternly and severely for my lack of affection fathers and uh, cleavage to truth and so on. And I have been deleterious in my ways and heaven knows it's true. And I've listened to all of that and they have worked me over and I've always bawled and went ahead and called on. But suddenly the thought comes to me, you know, when they had this same ground to walk on, they never tried to pick up one diamond. Uh, I mean, I know I'm on sensitive territory all of a sudden, but I—I mean, maybe they considered the digging too hard, you know, or something. But I've often wondered why didn't they get a pick and shovel and try to find right here? They might have figured it'd been too hard to to dig one out of the mountainside. But we'll go, you know, where people have nothing and nothing else to, do. you know. If, Really, they might have been looking for the easy way out, and then they say, we're not doing anything. Of course, we're we're out here still trying to pick up a diamond somewhere, or maybe it's just a piece of carbon. but, But at the same time, we're financing them to look for diamonds elsewhere. I've often wondered how they do that. I don't know. But it's just a thought in passing, and I don't think it's too far removed from my point. Then let me tell you about a miser, a miser. There was a man, all that he wanted was his gold, his money. He'd rather have that than anything going, just his gold. And this man, he he labored just for that. He counted, and uh, he worked for it. Did you ever see anybody that, You've often said they got 50 cents worth of uh, a left and a half the first dollar they ever made. There's some people really, I mean. To them, life is the acquisition of material goods. And they don't realize that a man's life consists not in the things or the abundance of things that he possesses. But there are other things to gain in life besides silver and gold. And this is a true little story. This... Miser, this one who wanted gold more than anything else, and in those days you had gold dust and gold rocks and gold pieces and gold coins, and he had gold. He had his gold in his little sack, in his leather pouch, and he, he, he tied it around his neck, and it, it was there, and he had it. it. It gave him the comfort. He knew that uh, he would never be destined to begin, and what he really wanted was that. He'd worked for it. He'd, he earned it. It's his by rights and by labor and by toil and by sweat. And, and now he is preserving what he has gathered it's his. On a boat one time they came into a high seas and the ship began to go bad and began to rock around and one little child one little golden haired girl was right there on the edge of the ship and standing up on the rail and when the ship lurched badly she fell off into the deep and this man, this man, who was an excellent swimmer, and he was the only one there that saw this little child, just a little thing, fall in there, suddenly he obeyed the impulse and dove into into that water, and he grabbed that little darling child, and, and he swam there a long time until the boat went around and could make a little turn and, and get to him. But in his swimming, In his thrashing and her grabbing him, he somehow, whether it fell off or was torn loose by her frantic clawing at him, somehow he lost his bag of gold, his life savings. And when this little thing was passing, today I must think of a Lee Hafid. He sold his farm, and the man that bought it took the same plow, praise God, the same ox, plowed the same furrow, and turned over the Gold Conda diamond mines. They were there all the time over, what did I say? One billion dollars in diamonds. There are acres of diamonds we have not found yet, but they're still there. God bless you. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to before Brother Ballester gives all his platform. for me. I'd like for he and Sister Ballester to sing that song for us. I suppose I've told this story so many times, that people tired of hearing it. Some of the greatest people that I have ever known died penniless and almost friendly. a lonely old man. A lonely old man. While he sat in the confines of his home, creatures drove by ever to the more His name was Monk. Everybody passed by. It's too bad for folks. city helped them. Really helped them. We we'll always look at the children. This is the monk's children that lives between the tracks.